You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. Make sure to rate the podcast and share with your friends. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. We have something for all ages or online at 10 a.m. Make sure to check out our live groups or small groups. In this podcast, we'll hear a special Sunday morning message from our worship pastor, Pastor Carrie Hill. You know, we have some special guests that we don't normally have in the service with us. And so even though they just went back to their seats, I want to hear from these special guests this morning. Um, And and I think you're going to want to hear from them too. So all the kids that were just here um, worshiping with us, would you guys come back up and just sit right here around the altar with me? Would you come up? Come on. Hey, if you go to kids' church or if you don't, just come on up and have a seat. You can sit on the floor. You can sit on the steps. You're fine. Yeah, go ahead. Have a seat. Yeah, come on. Come on up. Come on up. Have a seat. Hey, let's give it up for our kids. I don't know that we're going to have enough room on the steps for them. All right, we might have to might have to sit on the floor, too. There's a lot of kids. There are, and this is awesome. There are so many. Well, hey, guys, I want to ask you a couple questions, and I thought maybe you guys could um, just give me some of your answers and and tell me what you think about these questions. So I want to ask, I know some of you and some of your names, but I want to ask you, who are you and what makes you special? Somebody raise your hand and tell me who you are and what makes you special right here. I'm Colton Jackson. I have four open heart surgeries and two seizures. Four open heart surgeries. That makes you pretty special. All right, right up here. It God made me. What's your name? Paxton. Say it in the mic. Paxton. Yeah, he said God made me. That makes him pretty special, I think. Hey, let me scoot down here real quick. All right, what else? Who are you and what makes you special? My name's Katrina, and... <laughs> that makes you pretty special. Anything else? Yeah, man. Uh, do you do gymnastics? <gasps> Tell them. I do gymnastics. I think that's pretty special. Okay, what else? I don't think I. Let's see. What? Who are you, and what makes you special? My name is Macy, and I do dance. She does dance. How cool. Okay, let's do a couple more right here. My name's Aubrey, and I do ballet. And she does ballet. Okay, right here. My name is Bo, and I do basketball. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Okay, right here. My name's Castle, and I'm a preacher's kid. Whoa, come on. (laughs) Come on, somebody. That's pretty special. I like that. All right, what do you My name's Aspen, and I've probably done softball for four years. Well, those things are all really special, and I love those things about you. You can go ahead and put your hands down, because guess what? I know there are special things about all of you, right? And I wanted to ask you guys, um, have you guys, anybody seen the movie Encanto? (laughs) All right, guys, we're not going to talk about Bruno, all right? But, (laughs) see, only the kids got that. You guys didn't even get it. You lost. Okay. But they get it, right? So in in the Madrigal family, all of the family, they have some special gifts, don't they? Like Isabella, Mirabelle's sister, she is 
she's perfect. She's effortlessly perfect. Like she doesn't even have to try. She's just perfect. But did that make her happy? No, because she was just trying to make her grandma, her abuela happy. She was trying to live up to those expectations. What about Louisa? What was she? She was super strong, right? And She exactly. She was carrying all the town's donkeys on her shoulders and it was like no problem. She was kicking churches uh, back into their place like she was moving all the things and it wasn't even hard for her. But she felt the weight of all that she was carrying. Right. And finally she breaks and she's OK. You guys know the song? Pressure like you do. Yeah, you guys know it. Okay. So (laughs) she starts to feel the pressure of the weight of those expectations because she was realizing that when she wasn't using her strength, she felt pretty worthless, right? When she wasn't using that gift that she felt like she had, she felt like she had no value. Okay. So Mirabelle is their sister, right? And Mirabelle doesn't receive a gift, she doesn't receive a gift. And so all of, all of her life, she's wondering, man, why? Why is the rest of my family, they all have these gifts. And man, I, I just must be not as special as they are. I must not have something that they have. What did I do wrong? But she's still happy, isn't she? She must have found her value somewhere else. Now, the movie never points to the fact that their identity shouldn't have ever been found in those gifts in the first place. Who they are is not the gifts that they possess. And who we are is not just in the special gifts that we have, although those are pretty cool, playing basketball and doing gymnastics and singing and being a preacher's kid and dancing and all those things that you mentioned. Those are all such special things. But guess what? It's not who you are. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want to tell you a quick little story from the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. And Jesus, when he came to the earth, when he was on the earth, he would go into the temple and people would come to him, those that were lame, those that were blind, they would come to Jesus and he would heal them in the temple. And all around the temple, there would be kids running around saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Can you guys say that? Hosanna to the son of David. So they weren't afraid to worship. They saw these miracles that Jesus was doing and they were like, man, this this is worthy of praise. I'm going to praise Jesus. But there were also some high and mighty scribes and priests in the temple and they questioned all these kids who were worshiping. They said, Jesus, don't don't you, don't you hear what these kids are saying? Because they thought that Jesus would say, oh yeah, yeah, we need to quiet them down. Yeah, shh. But Jesus didn't do that at all. He said, have you never read that out of children and infants that God has ordained praise? What in the world does that mean? Ordained praise. Well, we're going to talk about it. Jesus was referring, he was talking about an Old Testament scripture from the book of Psalms that all of those leaders, those church leaders, the priests and the scribes that they would have known about. It's Psalm 8. 
verse 2, and it says that very thing, that God has ordained praise out of the mouths of children and infants. Why? To defeat the enemy, to silence the devil, to silence the enemy. Why do you think your praise has the power to shut the devil up? You got any idea? Why do you think? Yeah. Okay. Why, why, why do you think, why do you think our praise has the ability to shut the devil's mouth? Okay. All right. Well, when we, you get, that's, that's a good answer. When we come and when we praise God, it silences the enemy. It shuts his mouth and he has no authority over our praise. And so God has ordained you. He's given you this gift to be a praiser. And so I'm going to share with you um, a scripture. And every time I say the word you, I want you to say, look to your neighbor and say, she's talking to you. Practice it. Say, she's talking to you. That's right. Tell, tell your other neighbor, look to the other side and say, she's talking to you. Oh, come on. You can say it louder than that. Say, she's talking to you. <laughs> All right. So this, this verse explains who we are and what our purpose is. Our purpose isn't just in the gifts that we have. We have a much higher purpose than that. Okay. So do you remember what you're going to say? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so every time I say the word you, are you ready? Okay, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So God has set you apart to praise him, to, to silence the devil and all of his plans. That's who you are. That's who you are. And that's, a. oh yeah, I did, but we're done with that verse. So <laughs> they'll get you. They will get you. All right, so you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, and you were meant to live a life that was fully and totally in love with Jesus Christ. Our identity is in him. And only when we figure out that that's really who we are can we live a life of praise. When we realize that just because somebody else may have some gift on this earth and maybe we don't have that gift, but we have a different gift, that's not where our value is. You're not just valuable because you play basketball. And you're not just valuable because you dance or because you've been through a lot of things. You're valuable because God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you were born to praise him. All that I said to them, I hope you realize that that applies to us too. <laughs> that that's who we are. That's what our function is. We're priests a chosen generation called out of darkness to declare God's marvelous light. And I, I want to tell you this morning that we will praise what we truly love. And what we truly love, we will genuinely worship. 
You know, worship isn't this thing that we just do. It's not just an external coming in and lifting up our hands. It's who we become as we fall more in love with God. And I don't think there's any coincidence that a couple weeks ago, Pastor Robert preached on Mark 12, um, verse 30, that says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. He said, that's the most important thing. And see, God had already begun preparing my heart for um, this message because Pastor Robert gave me a bit of a heads up because he knows this makes me a nervous wreck, by the way. Um, I know people don't think that, but I'm really nervous. So if you could feel how fast my heart is beating right now. Um, (laughs) But there's no no coincidence. God God knew what he was doing. And, um, you know, when... When we talk about praise, really when you boil it all down to worship and praise God is to live to fulfill that greatest command from the Lord, is to love him with all that's within us. And so um, when we do that, it, it's, it's not an obligation. It's not doesn't feel like a commandment at all, but it feels like the thing that is the very desire of our hearts is to love him. And so before we read our text, and I'm going to give it to you so that you can get there, um, but I want to give you a little bit of background to the historical period that we're getting ready to dive into. So if you would turn with me um, to Psalm 137 this morning. So God's chosen people of Judah, they are in exile, and they have fallen out of covenant with God uh, because of their sin, and they've been exiled to Babylon, and they're under Babylonian rule. And um, they refused to obey God's commands, and they found themselves worshiping other gods. They had idols that were in the way of their relationship with the Lord, and their ways were evil, and so God, he couldn't... He couldn't um, he wasn't going to handle it any longer. And so the ex, this exile lasted for about 70 years from 605 B.C. to 536 B.C. So that's where we find ourselves in Psalm 137, verse 1. Now, there's, um, uh, we're going to just read verses 1 through 4 today, and then we're going to come back and kind of pick those apart one by one. Um, so if you would just uh, read with me. It says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And the people said, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And so if you go back to verse 1, it says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. You're thinking, well, how is she going to preach a message about praise on that? That doesn't sound too praiseworthy to me. Um, Well, during the exile, the people, they would be marched down to the riverbanks. And um, there they'd be able to hold religious services and and different things. And so... um, they, they, would, they would gather there. And the river Euphrates was much bigger. It was a much larger river than anything um, that they had in Judah and, or near Judah. And so it was a very blatant reminder that you are not home anymore. You're not home anymore. This is not the place where you sang those songs of joy, the songs of Zion. That was Jerusalem. And this place is far from there. So the word sat, if we look at that, it says in the Hebrew, it means it's yeshab. And that word means to sit, to remain, to dwell, to marry, to abide, to establish. 
And so the people, they established themselves in their weeping because they didn't see a way out. They mourned and they intended to stay in their mourning because things look pretty hopeless. Anybody ever been there? Things can look pretty hopeless and we can kind of get stuck in our weeping sometimes. Had God forsaken them completely? Had he, had he left his people forever? Sorrow can feel debilitating when things change and we've all experienced sorrow at one time or another. Some of us might be experiencing it right now. And we're no longer where we want to be a supposed good place. So why were they weeping? What, what was the cause of their weeping? Well, here are some of the reasons that, that the people were weeping. They were, had trauma from the death of their loved ones that happened right in front of their eyes. It wasn't hidden when the Babylonians came in. They were murdering people right in front of, right in front of their eyes. So can you imagine having those, those things coming back up in your mind constantly? They lost their material possessions, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, the agony of being forced to march all the way from Judah to Babylon, their cruel captors and their continual mocking, loss of the good place that had a blessed past, current captivity, a bleak future, and their sin had invited God's judgment. And let me, let me be clear on something. There is a time to mourn. There's a time to be sorrowful and a time to grieve over awful things that, it, that we've experienced. There's a time for that, but it's also important to know that we do not have to stay in our weeping. That we don't have to stay in that place forever, that there is always hope. And so we don't have to stay in that place of weeping forever. So don't disengage in the desolate places of life. Instead, choose to praise God and to, if you're, if you're writing notes, I have four points today. Um, and Michelle Fraze, you'd be really proud of me. Listen, for Christmas, Michelle tried to um, like make sense of the script that Pastor Eric and I wrote. And man, I'm telling you, it was a disaster. I mean, like we had, things were all different um, fonts. There were different sizes of things. I mean, it was a disaster. But like, you know, when, you're, when you kind of have that creative side of your brain, you don't care about that stuff really. And so we just like got it down on paper and that was enough for us. And uh, so Michelle, you be really proud. I have uh, everything's the same font. I even have my scriptures bold and underlined. So I just wanted to clear that up. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, so number one <laughs> this morning is to establish yourself as a person of praise, not a person of weeping. Establish yourself as a person of praise instead of a person of weeping. How do we do this? That, that's a really easy thing to say and a lot harder to put into practice, right? So how is it possible to praise God when we feel like weeping instead? I want to tell you something. Praise does not deny that your pain is present. Pain doesn't deny that your that praise doesn't deny that your pain is present but it also doesn't mean that you can't praise him even while you're weeping. Sometimes our tears are our worship. <laughs> Sometimes our tears are the only language that we can get out, and it is worship. <laughs> it is worship. So don't think, oh man, I, I, I'm in this difficult place and all I can do is cry. That's all right, you go ahead and cry it out. <laughs> you go ahead and cry it out because there will be a time when that mourning turns back into joy. 
And so don't establish yourself as a person of weeping. Instead, establish yourself as a person of praise. God spoke these comforting words through the prophet Isaiah to his chosen people years earlier. Isaiah 61.3 says, And provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I just wonder if anybody in here has ever experienced that spirit of despair. Doesn't it just feel like sometimes it wraps around you like a heavy coat? Feels weighty sometimes. Feels heavy. And so I love that the Lord describes it and he says, a garment of praise. We can choose a different garment. We can put on a different garment. We can put on a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And it says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. When we worship, uh, actually, let's, let's flip real quick to 2 Corinthians. Keep your, keep your finger in Psalm 137. Uh, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. This is one of my favorite scriptures, and I know y'all probably get so tired of me saying, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, let's turn our eyes on him, but I don't care, I will say that till the moment that he takes the breath away from me, because there is nothing else, there is nothing else that will sustain us and keep us like fixing our eyes on him. So let's read that together. It says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Oh, now the spirit of the Lord, now the Lord is the spirit. I'm reading the wrong chapter. I said chapter four, didn't I? I was like, that's not the right verse. I did that a couple weeks ago. Uh, chapter four, verse 16, not 316. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is only temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. So when we worship and praise through our weeping and through the questions that we have, our focus is no longer on the problem, but it's on the one who can solve the problem on the problem solver. So be encouraged today. Let's go back to 130, Psalm 137, verse two. It says this, there on the poplars, we hung our harps. What does that mean? They were defeated. Because of the difficulty they found themselves surrounded by, they hung up their harps. They hung up their praise. Their harps were what they used to praise. They hung up their praise on the poplars or the willow trees that were by the river. Their residence had changed, but God did not change. The Bible tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So there was evidence from their past that they could have looked to that pointed to God's faithfulness even when his people had been unfaithful to him. There is always hope, so there is always a song to sing. And when we lose our song and trade, if I told Randy, if I, had a, if I had a title for this message, I guess it would be a harp or a hanky. Um, because when we lose our song and trade our harps for a hanky that we're just going to blow our nose in and weep in over and over and over again, the enemy has us right where he wants us. Again, praise doesn't deny the pain that is present. But just like Eve in the garden, the enemy tries to whisper to us, did, did God really say that? 
He may be trying to whisper to you, God will surely abandon you like the others have in your life. He's not trustworthy. His love will not last. Just go ahead and give up your praise and forsake the Lord like he's forsaken you. Our mind, our mind sometimes can believe that God loves us and that he cares what happens to us, but there are times when our heart, or, or maybe it has never been, our heart has not been fully convinced that he is enough. We just sang about it. And that his grace is sufficient enough to carry us through whatever hardship we are currently in. And so when we lose our praise, when we put it away or hang it up, man, we are without our weapon against the lies of the enemy. Listen carefully. We talked about it. The kids, they praised. They, we've been ordained for praise to silence the foe and the avenger, the enemy. We learned that truth, right? And so praise, our praise expresses or it makes known and declares what we believe about who God is and acts as a weapon to defeat the enemy. So let me give uh, a little uh, word here. We better make sure that what we believe about God is what his word says. Not what the world says, but what his word says. We have to know the truth because the truth is the only thing that will set us free. The truth is his word. So we have to know it. We have to make sure it lines up with the word. Because you can't, you, can't you can't express praise, or you can't praise, really, without expressing it somehow. And when we praise, then others will see that expression. The only way they can see something is if we express it. <laughs> And so when we praise in the middle of the storm, when we praise in the middle of whatever is going on, man, that looks like craziness to the world. They don't understand that. They, they have no clue. They're like, how, what, how do they even have a smile on their face? How is it possible for them to be lifting up their hands and singing a song of joy when they're going through this situation? Like, how is that even possible? I looked out as we were worshiping this morning, and I looked out and I saw a recent widow lifting up her hands, both hands to the Lord. I looked out and I saw different situations and different things. People who, are, who have walked through cancer battles, people who have had different scares, people who are walking through things right now with their hands lifted high saying, I won't back down. I will praise the Lord. And so imagine, I just wonder, and, and, and you know, we'll, we'll never know, but imagine what might have taken place if only one or two of those captives by the river would have said, nope, I won't be silent. You know, I know it's hard. I know that we're not in Jerusalem anymore, but I'm going to pull down that harp and I'm going to start singing to the Lord. I wonder, I just wonder what would have happened if they would have decided to exalt the Lord and give thanks for his goodness, even when in the natural, it may have appeared that his goodness disappeared. <laughs> Praise changes the atmosphere around us, and it's contagious. It could, have, it, it could have had an eternal impact on their captors watching them by the riverbanks. We don't, we don't know. I was reading an article um, this past week that uh, it was clickbait for sure. It was like, who is the, who is the um, best worship leader of all time? And I was like, Chris Tomlin, like, you know, he has songs like, how great is our God? How can you get better than that? Like Darlene Check, shout to the Lord. Of course, like she's definitely one of the best worship leaders out there. 
David Crowder, like he's, he's for the old and the young and everybody in between, everybody loves David Crowder. Um, but then it, it shared just this beautiful truth that I thought, man, we get so caught up in things that don't even matter. Because if we're looking for the best example of a worshiper, we don't have to look any further than Jesus. His life was lived in a way that was always ascribing worth and value to his father. That's what his life was about. It was about bringing glory to the father. And who could know the father's love any better than a son? Uh, my parents are here this morning. Wave your hands. Hey, I love you. <laughs> um, and, and my relationship with God and the view of the father's love is a direct reflection to the way that I experienced love growing up from my earthly father and mother. I was shown affection both in word and in deed. There was never a question whether my parents loved me. There was never a question of whether they would praise the Lord no matter what they were going through. I can remember my mom, uh, I was little, um, but they would ask for testimonies and she would just stand up and sing a cappella in front of the whole church, and she would sing, there is a balm in Gilead. <laughs> and so these things have been etched in my heart, and I know what praise is, because my parents showed me what praise was. They showed me. And I don't say that. I don't say that to boast or to make you think, oh, great. <laughs> I didn't have that same experience. How am I ever going to know the love of the Father like that? Like, she seems really serious about that. <laughs> um, but our view of, of those on earth that were meant to love us unconditionally, man, it might have been skewed when you were young. I don't know your circumstance. Maybe your point of reference, your gauge um, is broken. I, for, for perhaps through no fault of your own. I want you to know that my heart, it, it, I mean, if I could just explain to you how my heart burns for you, that it burns for you to know the love of God that passes all earthly knowledge. And if my heart, like, if I could tell anybody anything, it would be God loves you. God really loves you. He really loves you. So whatever pain and whatever rejection and whatever difficulty that you've gone through, he really loves you. Whatever mistakes you've made, he still really loves you. That's what, I, that's what I want to tell people. That's what I long for people to know because it's only when we get that that everything else can stream. And so if my heart longs for that, imagine how much more his heart longs for you to know that. To really not just know it in your head, but to know it in your heart. God's love is perfect and complete, and it never wavers. He showed it without hesitation when he sent Jesus. The cross, the cross is God's heart toward us. The gospel is his heart's posture toward us. And he longs for your heart to be healed in ways that maybe you don't even know it needs healing from. The only way it can be healed is through his love through his amazing love, unconditional love. I want to read a few verses that talk about his love and, 
And man, I, I just believe that even, even as I read these verses, that God can just begin healing in the room, that he can heal your heart, that he can heal the, um, the damage maybe that was done, that you feel like, I'm just broken goods. <laughs> I'm just too far gone. I don't know what love is. I don't know what real love is. His love is real. God showed how much he loved us, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Verse 16 in 1 John 4 says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. Verse 18 says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. Romans 8 verses 38 and 39 says this, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. God is love and he can't be separated from love because it is literally who he is. So what is our point of reference for knowing the love of the Father? We have to get beyond just knowing that truth that God loves us in our heads and really learn it with our hearts. Our greatest need is not, to, not even to love God and to love one another. Our greatest need is to know that God loves us. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. It doesn't say we loved God first and now he loves us. If we're able to understand just how much God loves us, our lives will be radically changed forever. I'm convinced, convinced. If we would have a revelation of his love for us, that it would be embedded in our hearts, changed forever. The love of God can heal our hearts and set us free from rejection. We'd have a desire to follow and obey him Therefore, one of the main tactics of the enemy is to tell us that God does not love us, to try to convince us that God somehow, that we are not worthy of love. And, and we're not worthy of love. Really, none of us are worthy of love. That's the beauty of it. Even when we were dead in transgression, Christ died for us. Not because of us, but because of his love. <laughs> So maybe the knowledge, maybe, maybe today it's like, this is just in my head. How do I get it to my heart? You know what the Bible says and you know what you should believe. And so you believe it to an extent, but you've been too afraid to just let go and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Like experience his love in your heart to allow him to sweep away the cobwebs that have been so tightly locked within your heart of grief and loss, divorce, regret, pain, disappointment. You may have hung up your harp, hung up your praise a long time ago. You may have just recently laid it down. Or you may be headstrong in it and say, I will not bow. I will not give up my praise. We may find at times that our confidence has been misplaced. When we hit difficult seasons of life, we, ooh, 
whoops, there goes the microphone. Sorry. We may, uh, we're, could we have been saying to God in times on the mountain when things seem to be going well, God, I'll take it from here. I got this. Anybody else like to be in control? Nobody, y'all lying. You're lying. I like to be in control. All right. <laughs> so when things are going good, sometimes we're like, I got this, God. Like our prayer life kind of, our praise, we're kind of like, eh, I can do with it, do without it. But then when things break loose and the enemy's on our front porch, then what do we do? Our confidence can't be placed in ourselves. And your praise is not determined. This is number two. Sorry, that was the long one. I had to spend some time on God's love. It's like, it's so my heart. Number two, your praise is not determined by your difficulty, but by your confidence in the love of God. Whew. If the world needs to see something, they need to see that. That our praise is not determined by our difficulty, but in the confidence of the love of God. When we're tempted to hang up our song and sit and weep in a dark place, remember have the Lord bring back to your remembrance the love that he has for you that's been poured out and refused to be defeated. Let your life shine before men so that they can see your Father in heaven. So verse 3, it says, For there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. I said it earlier, but the, the world, they'll mock what they don't understand. The Babylonians, they obviously didn't love the Lord, the God of their captives, yet even in their mocking, the people of God were presented with an opportunity to yearn for the past when they were still in Judah and keep their mouths closed or to refuse to let the enemy steal their song and declare truth even in the midnight hour. Remember Paul and Silas? You see, they, they, they didn't be quiet when they were bound up in chains and when they were shackled and when they were in prison, it, it, all the more they sang and they declared the praise of the God that they knew, the one that they knew, they declared his praise. And what happened? They were loosed. The captives beside them were loosed. The jailer's ready to hang himself because he's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be trouble for me. And they say, no, 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 wait, we're all here. And he says, oh my gosh, I've seen I've seen what praise can do. What must I do to be saved? It says then his whole family was saved. Our praise has the ability to change things. So number three, our praise is not determined by our dwelling place. Let me tell you something. I love, I love my country. I love where I live. I love West Virginia. But my allegiance is not to those places. My allegiance is to God and to him alone. And if any place or destination or dwelling place ever tries to steal that allegiance, I pray that my heart will say, mm -mm. no, see, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm headed. It's an eternal place. And so my allegiance, our allegiance is to him first. Our praise is not determined by our dwelling place. One more. Can you guys hang with me for a few more minutes? Verse 4. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? These songs, they were more than just performances. 
They were from knowing Almighty God. And so could they have been saying, what's the point now? We've been deserted. Will we ever return to the place where it was easy to sing our song? It's not natural anymore. Destruction swept away their delight. I think of a, a little chorus of a song that I sing over my girls. And it just says this. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. He fills my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. Or Jesus, 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 there's just something about his name. It says this. This is what I want them to know. Kings and kingdoms, they will all pass away. But there's something about his name. So have the difficulties that we've walked through, that we're walking through right now, they caused us to lose our delight in the Lord. Like I said, the Israelites, they had some points of reference to look back on and see that the Lord was faithful, that his love was overwhelmingly good and true. So what's caused you to lay down your song? Songs of joy and, and of praise speak of God's power and his goodness and his faithfulness. They celebrate God, the truth of God. So how is it possible to declare that God is all-powerful, that he's eternally good, that his faithfulness goes on forever, and that his love will endure all things when these doubts and questions, they cloud our view? Here's what, and this was not in my original notes. When I was going over my notes this morning, this is what the Lord gave me. Involve the Lord, not the world, in your questioning. Because the world will lead you astray. <laughs> The world will tell you all kinds of lies. Amen. But if you involve the Lord in your questioning, he will speak truth. Amen. Because he is truth. And so he's not afraid of your questions. He, he wasn't offended by their questions. How can we sing the song of the Lord while we're in a foreign place, a strange place? He was not, he's not concerned that they had questions in the difficulty. He's not concerned that you're wondering, how am I going to make it to tomorrow? He is concerned. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but he's not concerned that you have questions. He wants you to bring those. He says, come on, come lay those at my feet. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I, you're never meant to carry the weight. You bring those, you bring those to me. And we must, if we're, we can't allow trauma or difficulty, things we've experienced to distort the truth of God's love toward us. We have to really know him. And how do we know him? It's right here. It's right here. This is his letter to us. If we want to declare these truths in the midnight hours of our lives, our delight has to be found in him. So number four is this. Don't let destruction sweep away your delight. Delight in what? Delight in the Lord. 
Psalm 37 verse 4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And man, I hesitate with that verse because sometimes we take that verse out of context and we think that it means that, man, if we just, if we praise the Lord, if we have our delight in him, then we're easy street. Like he's going to give us everything that we want. We're going to have it. That's not what that verse says. It's not what it says. Here's what it means. It isn't saying that as long as we delight in the Lord, we'll get whatever we want. It's saying that when we delight in the Lord, first and foremost, that our desires will be aligned with his desires as he becomes our heart's greatest desire. Ooh, let me say that one more time. When we delight in the Lord, first and foremost, our desires will be aligned with his desires as he becomes our heart's greatest desire. He is our delight. Not this building, not an event, not a church service, not a relationship, not a worship song. God alone wants to be your delight. And so just really quickly, let me go back over those four points. One is to establish yourself as a person of praise, not a person of weeping. Two is your praise is not determined by your difficulty, but by your confidence in the love of God. Three, your praise is not determined by your dwelling place. And four, don't let destruction sweep away your delight. You know, in the Old Testament, they had the, the books of the law and, and they had to, be, they, they had to uh, memorize those and they were in their heads. But so much of the time, what was missing was the heart. And so this new covenant that we have, it says that God says he, he put his laws in their hearts and in their minds, both. Why? So that it's not just external motivation, not just I'm going to follow this law so he doesn't strike me dead. Because that was never God's heart in the first place. God wants relationship. He's not after your external obedience. He's after your heart. And so... This new covenant that we have, we have the opportunity to place his words, not just in our head, but in our hearts. That's what he wants. So that it's intrinsic, that it's internal motivation, that it's, I want to do this. I want to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, because I know that he loves me. If there's ever been a moment to abandon anything that entangles or distracts or connects us to compromise our praise, now would be that moment. To return to the Lord with all of our hearts and as his love is revealed to us and as we study him through his word, that we would fall in love with him with all that is within us. There's a, a quote by Jeremy Riddle in the book, The Reset, that I've been reading, and it says, Love and honor have no power unless they are fueled by knowledge and revelation. The less you know about God, the harder it is to worship him. But the more you feast on him, the more it gushes out of you. His presence, the presence is not, is not a thing. It's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. His presence, he alone will be the only thing that will sustain us, that can give us joy unspeakable, that will keep a fire burning on the inside of us that has no other choice than to overflow with praise, even in the darkest of times. 
And so you've heard me say a lot about our head and our heart. And, and there's, there's a quote that says, the longest journey you will ever take is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. Seems like a pretty short distance, right? But sometimes getting something from here to here is the longest road. <laughs> I've often found myself in this exact position. Maybe you have too. I've made statements like, I should exercise more often. I should eat less of that and eat more of this. Or, you know, I know it. I know the right things. I should be more patient and less selfish. But those statements, they're, they're just intellectual in nature. I've agreed with them, but have not acted on them. Somehow they have to make a journey from my head to my heart and only then will it be something that I truly believe in. Until I take it to heart, I won't act on it. Unfortunately, sometimes I think that's our view of God. We say we believe that he is a trustworthy and loving father, but we aren't really willing to let him take full control. Our heart has not learned to trust him on the journey. Maybe you've accepted Christ as your savior, and you know that he's forgiven you of your sin, but you haven't surrendered to him and let him become the Lord of your life. There's a difference in having a savior and being forgiven and having a Lord that you have given everything up to and said, you're the Lord of my life. You're not just my savior, you're my Lord. Until we let him have full control, we'll con count on our own strength to get us through. And man, our strength gets weak, huh? Instead of the steadfast love of the Lord, only a surrendered vessel in heart and mind can truly love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we do that, praise will come as the natural expression. There's a, uh, in the worship team, we did a, a Bible study and um, Zach Neese led it and he said this and I thought it was so beautiful. It says the altar is the place where the power of God meets the pain of humanity through the passion of Jesus Christ. And so as I'm closing, we have an altar here. And what I love about our church is that it's always open. That I love that the kids came and, and danced and worshiped around the altar this morning. But as we begin to minister to the Lord this morning, I, I'm gonna go to the piano here in just a minute. As we praise him in spirit and truth, because that's what the Father's after. He's after worshipers that will worship in spirit, meaning you gave your life for me, so I'm going to live my life for you. And in truth, right? We have to know the truth about who God is. The pain of humanity meets the passion of Jesus Christ through the love of his Father God. And it's there that we can experience his power that we can experience the pleasure, that we can experience his presence in ways that maybe we never thought possible, that maybe we thought, this is too dark of a place. I can never, I can never get out. But you're going to make it if you establish yourself as a person of praise. If you choose not to be defined by your dwelling place or by your difficulty. And if you make him your greatest delight. So I want to pray over you this morning. And um, I know this wasn't like a real 
uh, you know, jump up and shout kind of message, but I pray that it helped you. I pray that, I pray that we would all this morning have a revelation of God's love for us and that we'd be changed. So I, I want to pray for you, and then I, I'm going to give an invitation. Lord, we just thank you that your love is unconditional, God. We thank you that your love, it never runs out. God, that it knows no bounds. And I pray that this morning that any one who needs to have some cobwebs swept away in their hearts, Lord, from pain or difficulty or rejection or loss or grief, God, that they just feel stuck in their weeping, God, that they would make the conscious decision to stand up and even through their weeping to praise you, God. To recognize you for who you are. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you that you are good. I want to ask if there's anybody in the room that, that maybe as I was talking about the love of God, you say, I, I don't, I've not experienced it, but I want to. I want to know the fullness of the love of God that he has for me. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, I want to invite you to do that today. There's no better time than, than right now to say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. So if that would be you this morning and you want to surrender your life to him, would you just lift up your hand? Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. Make sure to rate the podcast and share with your friends. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. We have something for all ages or online at 10 a.m. Make sure to check out our live groups or small groups. 